0: RadioInfluence.com.
1: Welcome to episode four of the Fight HQ podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Pete Rogers Jr., the fighter. Pete, uh, you know, I was thinking about you on Saturday night, where you know you always say, "All it takes is one strike, and it completely changes the fight." And yeah. once you know it, once again that that statement is truthful. Once again, as uh, we saw on a couple of occasions, uh, you know we saw you know in two situations we saw fighters who just uh, you know the the gas tank went completely away. We saw where you know Jordan Wright just lands a spinning kick that just you know you know lands not not a solid connection but did land you know and, and ultimately you know gets him a, a TKO win over Ikeville Ike Villanueva and just. Dude, I have seen a lot of crazy things in this sport. What I saw Saturday Night, I don't think I've ever seen before at, at, at a UFC-type show. Like, you you know, like, look, there, there was a time where in Bellator, when you had, you know, especially on the female side, and you had, like, a 10-to-1 favorite, just place a $20, $20 bet on the 10-to-1 underdog because a good chance they might actually win. But I've never seen that in the UFC where... You had the three biggest underdogs on the card all win.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was just an insane night. Um, I always say the odds don't matter when the cage doors lock and, uh, you know, the fight can end with one shot. And, you know, you saw that in the Vallejo fight where he was absolutely dominating his opponent, Trevor Jones, and was lighting him up with kicks and, you know, body shots. And the referee could have easily stepped in there and stopped the fight in the first round because he was cracking him to the body. And then, you know, second round comes out. He ends up getting caught with one shot clean on the jaw and gets put on his butt and finished. And, uh, you know, and then you saw, what it was it, a 13 1 favorite and a uh, and of a go out there and go, you know, pedal to the metal right from the get go. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, no, that's, a, that's an indicator of a fighter who's a little bit green and a little bit not so experienced and you know the fight iq isn't there because you realize you have to fight for 15 minutes and you're not going to finish everybody so you have to be selective with your output that wasn't the case for that and that ultimately led to her demise in the fight against Shayna dobson who she did great i mean i i props to shauna dobson she went in there and she reversed some positions got on top and looked better than she ever has but um you know that's the fight game man <laughs> you know it's the most unpredictable sport in the world
1: we're going to talk about uh, those fights here, come up here in a little bit. But uh, I want to, you know, bring up Trevin Jones to you from a, from a technique aspect. Obviously, uh, getting hit to the body. And one of the things that you saw is he just went so much defensive of protecting his body at that point. He left his head just wide open. I feel like I don't really see that too often where, you know, usually when a guy gets hit in the body, it's like, hey, let me protect my body, but I'll still put my hand off the block of face. What did you think when you saw that of just kind of like how he just basically said, hit me in the face, just don't hit me in the body?
2: Yeah, I mean, body shots are probably the worst pain you could ever feel, and uh, it's the truth. Your body shuts down when you get hit with a really nice liver shot or you get hit in the solid plexus. It's, uh, it's devastating, and it makes you really curl up almost into like a fetal position sometimes if you get hit with a really good one. And, you know, you don't care about anything. Like that's it's – it's crazy that he would rather get punched in the face – then get hit to the body. But that's the reality of it. Um, What volley-up should have did in that situation is just work on volume. And uh, you already had the guy hurt. You already had the referee on his toes ready to stop the fight. Instead of trying to keep finding that hard shot, digging that hard shot to the body, overwhelming with speed and volume, and uh, you'll get the stoppage there. But, uh, you know, instead of going where he is defensively, get his hands up. Force him to bring his hands back up by start cracking him to the face and then drop back to the body. But, uh, you know, I can't hate on Balayev. Balayev looked incredible. And, you know, props to Trevin Jones for surviving that onslaught and uh, ultimately getting one of the best come, come from behind victories we've seen.
1: Yeah, he's one of the guys that I had mentioned the fact of that he was someone who left Guam, went to Vegas, and just said, "Look, you know what? I'm I'm going to go out there just in case of, of a short notice opportunity comes comes his way." And that's what happened. Got the short notice opportunity. He gets in there. But our our main topic we want to discuss this week is transparency with judging and officials working a fight. And you know, initially I, I kind of I thought about it just being from the referee's angle, but I think we should bring the judges. Into it as well, um, you know. Because one of the things I always think about is like, if you're in a situation where you lose a split decision, it's a controversial fight. You and your dad are sitting there. Of course, everyone knows your dad's your, your head coach, and you go, "We won this fight. There's no way we lost this fight." And there's not, unless some miracle happens that the judge who who the judges who scored the fight against you talk to you, which you you know is about a 1% chance of that happening, you know, it, it's like, I wish that there was some type of transparency and, you know, on the referee aspect, you know, I had this, this tweet on, on Saturday night, which after the fact, I understood why people took it the way they did. What I wanted to come off as a saying is, and talking about the Dwight Grant and Daniel Rodriguez fight. Now, look, yes. I'm happy. Daniel Rodriguez got the win because I had a lot of him in my, in my DFS lineups, but, it's one of those things that I sit there and I go, I would love to hear Chris Tione explain okay, his thought process and this is and this isn't necessarily just about that fight. it's about fights in general where you would love to hear a referee explain, okay, this is why I didn't stop the fight. You know what the fights weren't really you know landing good. The, the fighter was constantly trying to improve his position, which Daniel Rodriguez was doing in that situation, you mm-hmm. know, on, on Friday night in Bellator, I would love to hear Carrie Hatley talk about why he didn't stop the fight, you know, and look, I can understand that a, you know, in a title fight, the referee is going to let it go longer than normal. We, we both know that they're going to give, especially the champion much right. more of an opportunity but, I, I, you know, if that's a non title fight, I think Kerry Hatley probably stops the fight sooner than what he did. So it, it's just, it's one of these things of, I would love if there was some type of transparency. Like, I come from an NFL world, where there is a pool reporter that has the opportunity every week to talk to the officials and get an official comment. And, you know, you think about, like, you know, obviously I've been watching a ton of NBA. Every time there's a questionable call, what are they doing? They're going to New Jersey. And they're getting the league standpoint on this. And so that's like, I I just, the tweet was more about, and and I got a ton of interaction with it. I was kind of surprised with some of the people that uh, I saw either interacting with it, liking it, whatnot, but it was more about what is wrong with us just hearing from the referee to explain their decision.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, trying to avoid a situation where they open a can of worms. And, uh, I, I would like it as well. If, if you had explanations for every call in every sport and, uh, you know, justification for their reasoning, it gives you a little bit more of an understanding of why they did such, such a thing. Um, Chris Tyone had a little rough night, uh, you know, on Saturday and it happens. We, we all have rough nights at our jobs. And unfortunately he has a very, very difficult job, you know, refereeing, uh, bouts, but, You have to, you know, try to educate yourself a little bit and also try to improve upon each performance, whether it's a fight or whether you're a referee or a judge. You have to, no matter what you do, I I think that you always strive to be better. And Chris Taione in the first fight against Valiyev and Trevor Jones, um, you know, easily could have stopped it. And, you know, Valiyev would have been the victor and, and Trevor Jones would have lost due to the body shots. But whenever uh, consciousness is brought into the consideration and you saw Valiev gets cracked with a shot and, you know, has like a flash knockdown and he's basically out, um, that weighs a little bit more in the referee. Well, in Chris Tyone's part, that weighs a little bit more in his decision making than uh, in, in accumulation of damaging shots that aren't necessarily putting somebody out now. Um, if you think of the Dwight Grant and Daniel Rodriguez fight, Daniel Rodriguez definitely had a flash knockdown, but was also working, moving, mm-hmm. and I would have had no problem other than my DFS lineups if he stopped that fight because, you know, Dwight Grant was putting it on him and I was actually very surprised. I knew that fight was going to be action packed with, I think I said that was going to be one of the best fights of the night and I was really looking forward to that fight, um, but the referee gave him a chance because he was moving. It might have been a stretch. But when he came up to his feet and then ultimately turned the tide and cracked Dwight Grant with some shots and you, sh- you saw Dwight Grant uh, lose consciousness and collapse the way that he did, that really was the indicator that Chris Tyone should stop the fight. Now, I think the most the, the, the infamous instant for me is if you think of Czech Congo, Pat Berry. And Dan Mergliata in that fight, where Chuck Congo is just uh, getting destroyed by by Pat Barry and getting knocked down. I think he got knocked down three times, and and easily the fight could have stopped. And you know Dan Mergliata let the fight go on, and Chuck Congo somehow regained some some consciousness, and then backpedaled and landed an uppercut from hell right onto Pat Barry and knocked him out unconscious. So it's a tough spot because. In a way, if the referee – if there was consistency in the sport, Jason, those fights and the way that they ended wouldn't have ever happened. Uh, Valiyev would have been the victor. Uh, Dwight Grant would have won. Pat Berry would have won. So I think that – like it's tough, man. It refer- I, I don't know what the answer is, but like in those instances – if the referee stops it sooner, it's a completely different outcome, obviously. It, it's just crazy.
1: Christ, That was nine years ago of Chet Congo yeah. and Pat Barry. It, it was that. I still um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, Jason. You know what I mean? Like, that really sticks
2: out in my head. Is like, man, I almost feel bad for the fighter that should have had the early stoppage. And I do, as a fighter, feel bad for him. So, like, for me in that fight, I felt bad for Pat Barry. I'm like, dude, the fight should have been stopped, and now he gets knocked out unconscious.
1: Yeah, um, you know it, it's just one of these things where I wish commissions were more transparent. Um, you know, thankfully I have you know the ability to to call commissioners and and to talk to them and kind of get their takes. Um, you know, and it's something that I've mentioned. I, I think that you know, MMA is still a sport that is evolving. You know, are are there people in the MMA industry that I think? do not want to evolve? Yes, I do. But I do think there is a core group of people out there that they look at everything that's going on and, and how do we evolve, evolve as a sport of course. You know, a lot of things have happened. Um and, and I want to mention this tweet um that I got from uh from Hunter where um we, we were discussing about the score of, of Muñoz and Egger. I had it 3-2 for Pedro Muñoz. I don't have no problem if you have it 3-2. For Frankie Edgar, I don't know if I would have a huge problem if you had four-one Munoz. I just thought the 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 first first I thought was Munoz round could have gone to Edgar. I thought the second third round were the only clear rounds. Second round for Frankie, third round for Munoz. Um, I gave the fourth to Munoz and I gave the fifth to Frankie Edgar. But if you have a three-two, I, I I don't mind it. But so what Hunter had said. Was he actually? Uh, he gave He did a ten ten round. Um, yeah. let me just find. You know, he says he goes. It was a good fight. Not the top. Not not the type of fight they want. Uh, he goes. I scored it a ten ten in the first and fourth, and gave Frankie the second, and the fifth. How did he score it? I outlined how I scored it, and uh, he ended up. He goes another huge issue in our sport. So I'll request you guys get into the next podcast with Pete the Heat. Uh, in my opinion, if you do not score the fight 10-10, 10-9, and 9-10 through the first three, you're setting yourself up for failure, though no one but me is saying 10-10 round one, LOL. Look, here, here, here's the fact is, and Hunter, I understand where you're coming from, but the odds of a judge scoring a round 10-10 is about 0.00001%. Yeah,
2: it's never going to happen. Um, I appreciate it, Hunter, and uh, love the questions every week. We appreciate you. Um, commissions will never, ever allow a judge to do that because there's always one more punch landed, one more kick landed, somebody being a little bit more aggressive, somebody being a little bit more defensive. Um, commissioners will never allow their judges to give a 10-10 round. Now, the only way that you could think of a draw. let's just say let's just throw out a draw happening for a fight is if there's a foul or there's a 10-8 round in there where where the scorecards could get mixed up um as far as giving rounds even will never happen in the sport um it's just the the commissioners will never allow their judges to do that you're muted jason
1: uh, probably helps <laughs> I get on mute. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, the radio guy over here, you know, sometimes mutes his mic and forgets to, to unmute himself. <laughs> you know, hey, call, hey, you should call me anytime you want on that one. Sometimes it just happens. Um, okay. But but it, it, it's just one of these things of like, I, I just want to see our sport get better. And yeah. and, I, and I guess I look at it from, from your perspective as a fighter of when you find yourself in certain situations. Obviously... The referee is going to come back to you before the fight, you know, go over what he's looking for. Hey, if I see this, I'm going to stop the fight. But I I don't know what the starting point of this is, but I feel like in all of 2020, referees are letting the fights go longer than we've seen in previous years. I don't know if it goes back to Usman and Colby Covington because of, of how vocal Colby Covington was with Mm -hmm. with this, the stoppage in that fight. But I don't, I just, it just seems like referees are not as quick to stop the fight as they once were.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, that it's just the sport is so inconsistent and it drives people insane because, uh, you need governing bodies to hold one rule set or one standard, and just keep it across the board. But I mean, unfortunately, it's it's no different than umpires in baseball with their strike zones or uh, calling somebody out at first base. It, it's when, whenever you bring judgment into the consider, you know, into consideration, there's going to be flaws. Now. Um, That's why I thought of perhaps using metric scoring. I don't know if that's really a good idea, but metric scoring is awarding such a value to certain techniques. So, like, say, I bring it up a lot. It'll never happen, Jason, but, like, we're going to keep having this conversation until the end of time unless they go with that. I mean, there's never going to be a perfect system, but unless they institute, like, I know there was in New England for amateurs, they had it as I think it was between three or five unanswered punches on the ground and the referee would stop it. And that was in New England for a little bit um, based on inexperience. Now, if you bring something like that, you might see a more consistent you know, range of you know, you know, decisions from judges or officials. But until there's a rule with a number set, it's all based on judgment.
1: Here's a problem with your scoring system, bro. Yeah. How many judges are going to know everything they're watching?
2: No, I know. I, I don't. I don't think that's the. I don't think that's well, the. You I, would have to have like a stat counter for every sort yeah. of technique, um, and almost eliminate judges completely.
1: I think the answer is, or a potential solution to the the judging problem. Yeah. Is if we got more former fighters involved however it's not financially warning to be a judge you know you're not going to sit there and, and magically be a judge and that's all you do um especially like i know like i know um i talked to andy foster the executive director of the california commission probably about two or three years ago about this and just basically if you come through the state of california like this is why i commend frank trigg for what he's done is the fact of he had, I forget the number of fights he had to do in the amateur system before you even get a pro fight. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And let me tell
2: you, there needs to be, uh, you know, people that are grandfathered into the system, especially if you fought professionally, like how Frank Trigg was. They're like, come on, there's no reason why he needs to basically, you know, do 50 amateur fight. That's absurd. I, I mean, the guy's
1: experience weighs way more than that. I don't mind that because at least, you know, he's getting some hours in Yeah. for, you know, I mean, look, you, I mean, look, it, it's like we couldn't just throw you in as a referee at Bellator, you know, on September 11th, you know, cause you've never done it.
2: I think we could.
1: And I'm being honest.
2: I think we could.
1: Uh, okay. um, there are plenty,
2: especially if the fighter, I mean, it's really, it's, it's a piece of cake. If you know what you're dealing with it, it is. And I think that you need more fighters to get involved as judges or referees, not for a financial aspect, like you mentioned, but just for the greater good to try to really improve the sport for the long run.
1: Yeah. Would you ever, would you go into judging when you, you yeah,
2: know? I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a ref whenever I'm done fighting, uh, 100%. Um, whenever I retire fighting, I'm going to, be the best ref in the world, and uh, you, I guarantee
1: you, it. You're never going to say that R-word. It's like it's like me asking Greg Rubello if he's ever going to say that R-word again.
2: <laughs> hey, man, it, sometimes, you know, we'll see. It, we'll see. I mean, father time's undefeated, so I got to get going. This quarantine is uh, throwing a monkey wrench in my plans, Jason.
1: I We were talking about that before the show. Like, yeah. you know, obviously you're up there in the Northeast, and it, it, it's this – this pandemic has, you know, when you think about whether we're talking about someone like yourself or anybody else, it's it's been a really tough situation because of, depending on where you're you're living, are there promotions that are doing shows? Yeah. Um, you know, and look, and, and I'm sure there's plenty of, of promotions in Northeast that want to do shows. It's just a matter of, you know, it, it's just, you just can't say, hey, we're doing a show this Friday. You know, there, there's the, the, the regulation aspect of it. So, I mean, I, look... I hope, you know, uh, we can start seeing more regional shows. I mean, I know here in Florida, we're seeing more and more, um, you know, other you know, obviously what LFA is doing up in, in South Dakota. Um, you know, they're doing shows. Uh just, the state of Georgia is, is doing a lot of shows. They've got uh, another show in Atlanta this week. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, one of the things we want to do here on, on the podcast every week is talk about the technique of the week. And, and last week it was you breaking down the crucifix. This week, uh, I want to go back, I believe it was in the um, Timur Valiev and Trevin Jones fight, of the question mark kick. And kind of break it down offensively and defensively.
2: Yeah, so question mark kick is one of my favorite kicks. Uh, I'm a kicker, so um, w- what a question mark kick basically is, it's a, it's a fake. So um, whenever you throw a question mark kick, you'll usually see a fighter throw either a low kick or a front kick to set it up. Now, whenever you throw a loose kick, the question mark kick, you throw it loose so that um, your opponent thinks and reads it as either a front kick or a low kick so it brings their guard down and what you're going to do is you're going to really whip your hips around so it comes up and around. So uh, For me, for instance, I like to throw front kicks up the middle and then I'll fake it and I'll whip my hips around and it comes now is a round kick and basically an over-the-top type of motion so uh if you haven't seen it it's it's very tough to defend against um it's kind of similar like if you haven't uh you know sparred or trained with a karate guy and you go fight a karate guy your defensive techniques are just going to be a little off um essentially what you have to do is treat it like a round kick and um uh, <laughs> It's tough because you're you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, Jason. If you bite on it and you think it's going to be a front kick, you could get lit up and hit in the head. And if you ignore it as a front kick, okay, you could get stuffed and buried to the body. So you really have to become like well versed with seeing it in practice. Um, but I mean, if it's coming to the head, you're going to treat it just as a round kick, or you're going to step back and just ultimately be out of the way. Uh, you know, the best defense is get the heck out of the way. So, uh, you know, good offense is great, but just totally allow your opponents to miss on you, and that's the best best source of action.
1: Yeah, don't don't uh don't let your uh, head block kicks and punches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, Wait, isn't your is are you the one that had the line? Don't be an everlasting punching bag.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: That's yeah, an it, awesome line.
2: Yeah, I mean, and uh you saw Valiev was treating Jones like a punching bag uh, for a very long time. And uh it just took one shot. That punching bag struck back, and every now and then you'll get hit with the bag.
1: Yeah, I mean, um you know, the other thing about uh, in terms of kind of it's not really a technique talk, but the adrenaline dump and or where you just you go hard for that finish and you know the, the term we always hear is you've punched yourself out. Mm-hmm. And we saw that, you know, with uh, I I I don't know how to say her last name correctly Agapova. I mean, that's the way I go with it. Yeah, uh, that's fine. And, and Grant, where she went so hard for the finish, and I remember when the round ended, and she was struggling to get up. I was like, yeah. Oh, this isn't yeah. good. This isn't good. <laughs> And then, of course, you just saw, once the round kind of started, I was like, oh, she's done. She's done. And then with Dwight Grant, when he didn't get the finish, I was like, oh, man. I was like, because literally as he's raining down all these punches, I'm going, oh, man, if this ref does not come in and stop the fight, this thing's going to turn around quickly. And that's exactly what happened. Um, We hear about adrenaline dump. We hear about, you know, punching yourself out. Try to explain it to everyone, either listening or watching, what this feeling is like.
2: Yeah, so um, an adrenaline dump is where you go out there and, you know, the event, the cameras, the crowd, uh, you know, just basically the act of fighting and anxiety drains you. And you feel tired before it even starts. And that happens for a very long time in your fighting careers until you start to really get used to it. That's why sometimes you see fighters go out there and are slow starters because they're zapped. Uh, they're mentally zapped as well. Um, you know, it just feels almost like you're exhausted, but it's due to nerves. Now, uh, the basically punching yourself out like Agapova did, she really just threw everything in a kitchen sink, same with Dwight Grant. And if you're not used to having that output, especially under the lights, and now somebody's pouring it on you, You know, I always say the worst thing in the world and the scariest thing in the world for me is running out of gas. So that's why, like, you know, for my fights, I train cardio like an animal because it is so terrifying. I'm not worried about getting knocked out or hurt. It's it's running out of gas and not being able to defend yourself. Like uh, Dwight Grant, ultimately, that's what happened. If he had a little bit more gas in him, he could have defended himself and then, you know. I guarantee you Daniel Rodriguez was still hurt from that flurry and all that, you know, all the punches that he accumulated. So, um, you know, I also think that you saw in the agape of a fight when she was so drained, how that affects someone's confidence too, Jason. So it really makes a fighter question and puts fear as well. Like, Oh my gosh, I've never felt this before. I'm zapped and now they're fresh and they're still there. So it's very uh, disheartening when you hit somebody over and over and over and they pull the Homer Simpson strategy and they are still coming after you after absorbing all that damage.
1: Yeah. It's uh you know, for you you've never seen the third round. Yeah, not not in
2: MMA. I, I've seen it plenty of kickboxing. Yeah. So um you know, MMA is MMA is a little different, but uh, I'll tell you that there's been A few gut checks in my in my fighting career where it's like oh boy like how bad do you want this right now like you look across you're sitting on the stool and you're like i'm exhausted but you got to put on a poker face and you look and you see your opponent look shot and you're like i think he's more tired than i am or even if you feel more tired than he is you better have you know a degree in acting so uh You know, And that's kind of what it is also is just having a good poker face. Like if you're able to look like the Terminator at all times despite how your body's feeling or look inhuman and just like look like you're not affected by anything, you're going to have a lot of success in the cage.
1: You know, there's something else about Saturday Night that I want to mention, and it is about the post-fight press conference. So (laughs) Dana Dana White is asked about – Scott Coker is talking about their light heavyweight division being better than the UFC's, so on and so forth. And so this question gets asked about a cross promotion fight. If you're a reporter that's gonna ask that question, you need to be ready for Dana White to fire right back at you. And when you go, when you when Dana White asks you what's a super fight I make, and you the only answer you come up with is Juan Archuleta and look, Juan Archuleta is a very talented fighter. You gotta have more names than that. Like
2: yeah, come on. I mean like,
1: it's one of those things of like, look, I, I, I can tell you this, Dana can be a very intimidating figure to talk to. Because look, he's the most powerful guy in the business. There's no doubt about it. I remember first time I, I ever did an interview with Dana. Yeah, there was there it was definitely like, oh, okay. I gotta be on my, my heels here. I gotta because you just know, and I even I even learned with Bjorn Redney of when you say something they don't agree with, you gotta be ready for them to fire back. And if you don't have a response, they've already won, and now you look like a fool in a press conference.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that was like a you know, props to the guy for having the, the nerve to say it. But you need to have a little bit more preparation and just for the answers or the counter arguments that Dana was bringing up. I mean, like proposing a, a Juan Archuleta super fight. You know that's that's okay but i mean what about uh what about lima what about uh you know you know what i mean like what about chandler like obviously we, we know that chandler is a free agent right now or he's in the talks but there are plenty of fighters that that really you know michael venom page like you could have continued to to rattle off names or at least had you know what i saw today on instagrams they have like a uh you know it was, know, an like, ESP,
1: it was an ESPN MMA, yeah. so they've they got one, They, two, they three, had the
2: matchups, right? Yeah, like, they've uh, got.
1: Like, Patricio Pitbull and stuff. Yeah, it was nine fights. and Because yeah. someone had sent it to me, um, and their response was, legit argument to be made, the UFC only goes five and four if this happened in November, full camps, everyone healthy. My first thought was, okay, who are the four Bellator wins? All right, let's okay. go. Yeah, let's go match by match. I'll tell All you. Right, let's start. Let's start at women's flyweight. Valentin Shevchenko versus Alima A. McFarlane. Shevchenko. Yeah. I, Not I, even look, close. I, I. Not even al- close. I will say this: Alima is one of my favorite fighters to interview. The reason being is I feel like I learn more about her every time I talk to her. I feel mm-hmm. like I learn something new. Like I, you know, I think of. The first time I talked to her, it was about, you know, the whole uh, soccer mom fight she had, you yeah. know, and she ultimately tells a story about, you know, being at a job interview for a waitress and the manager interviewing from her, interviewing her recognizes her from that fight because he was there, <laughs> you know, and it's just, like yeah. I feel like, but man, yeah, Shevchenko easy. Uh, Peter Jan versus Juan Archuleta or Patchy Mix. Um, i still say... uh, I think Patchy Mix will beat Juan Archuleta. That's September 11th or 12th. It's a doubleheader weekend.
2: I think Peter Jan beats them both.
1: Amanda Nunez versus Chris Cyborg. We've seen the fight once. Um, Yeah, I, 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 you know... That would be an interesting fight of a Prima Man Nunez versus the Chris Cyborg of like four, of old, or five, yeah. four or five years ago. That would have been interesting. This is the one that I find really interesting. Volkanovski versus Patricio Pitbull. Yeah, I got pitbull in that. I kinda agree with you. I kinda agree with you. Uh of course Patricio is also a hundred and fifty five pound champion against Khabib. Come on. Not even close. Look, I, I, lo- I, I look. I, I have a good relationship with the Pitbull brothers and their team. That's a bad matchup for Patricio. Terrible, absolutely terrible fight. Yeah, uh, Usman versus Lima. That's an interesting one. Give me Lima.
2: Even though the wrestle getting wrestle, uh, his wrestling getting, is so
1: much better now than than it was. I know I, that's I, what I'm saying. Like.
2: Everybody that's looking at that, like my buddy was like, Lima would get out-wrestled like bad. I, I would, I'm would, i like, I don't know, man. I think Lima is one of the best fighters in the planet.
1: That's a 50-50 fight to me. Yeah. You know, it's Usman's, Usman's uh, striking gets so much better. The thing I worry about Usman is I just wonder uh, of the injuries he's had over the years just, just adding up and, mm-hmm. and kind of being something that hurts him. Uh, middleweights, Israel and Sonia versus Musasi or Lima. Of course, they're supposed to fight for the vacant uh, title.
2: I think Lima beats Adesanya. Why? I just think that he's he's bigger, um, as not as far as rangy, but I feel like he's just a he's a big guy, yeah, and I, I think will, that he's so powerful.
1: I will never forget. So when they did the pay per view in Memphis, mm. um, we were uh, Beale Street is like basically Bourbon Street of of Memphis essentially, and I remember we get there. And I was meeting with some various, you know, media people, people inside Bellator. And, um, like, you had to go through this line just, like, again, like, this street area. And I remember, like, they're patting it down. I'm like, oh, I don't feel good about this. <laughs> and uh, I remember I ran into Lima at a bar. And, dude, huge.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I remember, like, like,
1: like that week was Shomenko and Tito. And it was at 2.05. And mm-hmm. we're doing a, an interview with Tito. Shamenko walks by. And, like, after we get done with the interview, I said to one of the Bellator PR people, I go, Tito's, like, 25 pounds more than he is. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he's cutting zero weight. I go, he may not even weigh 205 when he steps on the scale on Friday. Tito's cutting to 205. Tito's going to be, like, 225. Yeah. And you, yeah. you saw you saw just the the size difference. Um light heavyweight, this is an interesting one. Obviously we saw what Nemkov did to Ryan Bader um, against either Dom Reyes or Jan Blahovic, who of course are gonna fight for the title next month.
0: It's
2: it's hard to really evaluate where Nemkov is. I mean, we've seen some Bellator fights, but I like to see him see him in a, a little bit more like I know, he has some great wins, and he has beaten some top people. Obviously, you know, head kicking Bader was, you know, an incredible feat. But I do think that Dom Reyes is a problem. Um, I do believe that Nemkov is very good, but I, I think I'd have to side UFC on that side.
1: Here's the one thing though. Now with Nemkov, the champion in Bellator, John Jones exiting the light heavyweight division of who has the best case to be the best light heavyweight in the world. And there's a name I feel like people are forgetting. Tiago Santos. Everyone wants to say Dom Reyes about, hey, how, how, you know, whether you believe he won the fight against Jones, but Tiago Santos on one leg nearly beat John Jones. And like, Mm -hmm. I feel like he has become the forgotten guy at 205 pounds. It's
2: a great point, Jason. Good job. Uh, I, I, really like Tiago a lot and I actually sparred Tiago and, uh, it was fun. It was a good time. I, I, he was, he was a great training partner. Um, everybody was afraid to go with him. I said, screw it. And, uh, we had some, some really nice, good sparring. I mean, he wasn't draw out there trying to take my head off as he easily good at, but, uh, I mean, we, we were having a playful, good striking match and it, it was a great, great time. Uh, I agree with you. I think that Tiago could easily wipe, wipe out the division. Uh, we've seen early on him get submitted. Uh, You think of Eric Spicely. It's crazy to think that, like that is a crazy win, but it just goes to show
1: you that anything can happen in MMA. But I agree with you that
2: he's uh, a force to be reckoned with in that division.
1: And then heavyweight. I think the heavyweight one's interesting uh, of Miocic and Bader.
2: Mm. Miocic gets hit so much. And, uh, You know, it's heavyweight. You don't have to worry about Bader cutting weight because I think that's ultimately why he underperformed. Um, Obviously, you know, Nemkov did a great job, but I don't know if the same thing would happen if, say, it was at heavyweight. I would still side with Steve Bay based on just, I don't know. I I think just, I think he can outperform uh, Ryan Bader. It's a close fight, though.
1: You know, and obviously, uh, Dana White, I I did laugh on Sunday morning when I watched this comment when someone Mm -hmm. asked him about, hey, Scott Coker says he has best light heavyweight division. He goes, oh, isn't that cute? Yeah,
2: it wasn't too nice, man. I mean, like, but uh, what? Go ahead. ahead.
1: No, you go ahead. Yeah,
2: it's it's just like. What do you expect? I mean, say the guy that owns Pepsi is getting asked about Coca-Cola. I mean, the guy's not going to get over there and give props to Coca-Cola. I mean, he's sitting there and he's like, dude, this is the UFC. And you guys are asking me about, you know, what we consider as the B-League. And, you know, we they roster a lot of our rejects and a lot of the people we've cut and released. He's not wrong in saying that. But there are plenty of talented fighters in Bellator that they have not touched. So I don't, you know, just immediately dismissing Bellator's talent because they roster some people and are taking some big names so that they can build up their promotion. You know, I understand it, but it didn't make me feel good as a guy that fought for Bellator. It's like,
1: ah, you didn't have to go that way. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? But vice versa, he's. It's very evident they they want to sign Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler wants to sign with the UFC, like yeah. and like even you see the the Coker comments. I think Coker knows that, that Chandler's not coming back to Bellator. But I mean, look, I think Dana's response is is accurate. You may not like the way he said it, but when you look at the top light heavyweights in in Bellator, it's either a um in the Corey Anderson situation they released him. That was it, the thing is is. They made the decision. They didn't want to be in the Corey Anderson business anymore. Yeah. Um, I think the fighting style is part of that decision. I think they looked at Corey Anderson as just another guy. They didn't see him as someone that would ultimately get people to to buy a pay-per-view, which there's nothing wrong with that. Corey Anderson is still one of the best fighters in the world. Uh, I, I just think that Corey Anderson, I would hope that there's people around him that say, look, Corey this is clear why the UFC didn't want to be in your business. We can correct this thing. We can get, these are things we can do. I, I, you know, like I use a Sean O'Malley analogy, like look at what Sean has done outside of fighting to grow his brand. You know how, how he has made himself more recognizable to non-traditional MMA fans. I think that all fighters should look at that. You know, you look at the other big light heavyweights. If we want to consider Ryan Bader in that mix, Phil Davis, Leo Machida, even if we went though Gegard Mousasi in there. At the end of the day, the UFC could have had all those fighters back if they wanted because they had matching rights. Now, Bellator was willing to pay those guys more money than the UFC was. Um, you know, so it, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the UFC is a brand and Bellator is trying to build their brand. And I understand what Scott Coker, Scott Coker is a promoter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter whether he's talking about Corey Anderson or Patricio Pitbull, Alina McFarlane, whoever it may be, he is going to promote those fighters and he's going to put those fighters over. But, you know, there is a debate right now of who the best light heavyweight in the world is. And I don't think there's a clear answer. Yeah. I
2: mean, it was a bad night to make that statement about having the best division in the world. And then your, your golden boy, Ryan Bader goes out there and, and loses. So, Mm -hmm. um, You know, it was a little premature, but of course, maybe he didn't like the fight of you know going up against Nemkov, and he wanted to get it out there while he was still double champ. But I mean, you're correct in saying that Dana White is right in everything he said. I mean, all those guys that you mentioned, could have been in the UFC longer if they wanted to, well, if the UFC wanted them to. So um, I don't know why they're so obsessed with that division. I think there are plenty of other divisions in. Bellator that are pretty pretty stacked, um, you second. know. I, I, yeah, I agree, and I also think that if you think of the UFC, probably their golden weight class would be one hundred and fifty five in my in my opinion, yeah. and uh, I think that's their like golden weight class, and there are plenty of talented guys in Bellator at 155. But of course Michael Chandler tops that list if he stays, he's not gonna stay. But 170 is a great, great division that uh, you know, definitely could have some prospects for Bellator.
1: Yeah, I mean I just I feel like the writing's just on the wall that um yeah. you know obviously in the contract there's a there's an exclusive negotiating period. I mean if you're Scott Coker if I'm in his situation, I just tell, you know, Michael Channel and his manager, Hey, we're we're gonna waive this. Go get your deal. And uh, you know, obviously they have matching rights, so they can match it if they want, but it, it just it, it seems pretty clear to me that I, I think Scott Coker's not going to match anything that he offers. I could certainly mm-hmm. be wrong. I just feel like they're they're ready to move on, and and you know, look, if you're Michael Chandler, 34 years old, if you're going to make a run of the UFC, it's now or never, and so that's yeah. that's something to play into there. Um, you know, of course, so we got contender series coming up on on Tuesday night. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. This will be the Jason uh, Floyd f up of the week. Those do happen, um, yeah. happen pretty frequently. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm sitting here in my office here on Monday in my home office. And I'm like, okay, I knew I interview Mike Breeden, who's taking on Anthony Romero. I can tell you a funny story about Anthony Romero here in a second. So I'm like, okay, let me, let me promote this interview. So I go on, on my website, Mike Breeden, last thing that's come up was an LFA fight. All right, let me go to my YouTube channel. It's not there. I'm like, oh, crap. So I pull up uh, here on my MacBook Pro of where all my interviews are recorded at. It's not there. I'm like, okay, let me go to the iMac. And like, thankfully it was there. And it was funny. I, I hit up his PR guy and I said, hey, FYI, I, uh, Totally forgot to edit this thing together. Um, editing it today, will be up tonight. Actually, by the time this podcast out, it should be already up on YouTube, so people can can check that out. But uh, but that's that's probably the matchup that uh, intrigues me the most, just because I know both guys, mm-hmm. Anthony Romero. So when he was like two or three and oh, he emailed me asking for an interview. That's which cool. it, it, it's it's such a rarity. He had to be. I want to say it was when he was go- I want to say it was when he was going to take on Elijah Harris when he was 2 and 0 looking to go to 3 and 0. And I've probably had a handful of fighters reach out to me and ask for an interview. It's just it's just something that that rarely happens. Usually it's like a manager hits you up, a, a PR person hits you up, the promotion hits you up, that type of thing. And uh I just remember like cuz at first I was like is this really him? Like that, that was like, like just because it's such a, a rarity. But um, one of the things that, that Mike Breeden said to me that I thought was really interesting, and I want to get your perspective on it um, because I'm sure this is something you have thought of is, you know, he talked about this pandemic of how it's given him additional time to look at so many different aspects of his fight game. He said, of going back and watching old film, watching old sparring sessions, and really just picking apart his own game. I, and I know, you, obviously, you've been, you've talked about, you, you, you've been really back in, in grinding in the gym here over the past couple of weeks. Is is that something you can kind of relate to?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, during quarantine, you're limited on time. I mean, not limited. You, your time is unlimited. So, like, you, you can literally dive into film, um, you know, pick apart your style, pick apart what's going wrong. And, uh, I think it's a, it's a perfect time to do such a thing and to really basically dedicate time to honing your craft or working on your craft, you know, by yourself. Even you don't always need training partners. And I think that you can really, um, really fix a lot of things on your own mentally as well. So I think it's good to, to do solo work so I could totally relate to, to what Mike Green was saying there, um, you know, I, I've done it. I've been obsessing over fight film, my own fight film, um, obsessing over how to go about my career, goals, aspirations. Uh, I think it's a perfect time for brainstorming.
1: You know, we always hear about fighters. It's it's about more of the fights they have lost as yeah. opposed to what they win. Is that the same situation for you? Of When, when you go back and watch old films, that you're more watching the fights you lost as opposed to the fights you won? Um,
2: I think that's a that's typically what you want to do, but you can also look at your good performances and see what you did correctly to avoid getting in those bad positions or to avoid making those mistakes. So I think you have to watch both. If you obsess over how you lost, perhaps you will change and alter your, your game. So say say you obsess over your submission game because you got submitted. So uh, you really work on just your jujitsu jiu- and everything. And next thing you know, you know your your next fight, you're initiating the grappling because you spent six months on just grappling. So your your body's accustomed to wanting to grapple, and you're basically uh, in autopilot mode. And you're you're going away from your strengths because you're so obsessed with your weaknesses. Now I think that you definitely need to enhance your strengths and uh, avoid your weak spots. So it, it goes hand in hand, but you don't want to obsess over how you lost necessarily.
1: I know uh, you've broke down all these fights. Um, mm-hmm. Just in terms of this one, Mike Breeden plus one thirty-five, yeah. Anthony Romero plus one fifty-five on the betting line.
2: Yeah, you know I, I like this fight. I think it's an interesting fight. Uh, Mike Breeden. I don't know if he's still there. I'm sure you'll tell me. But you know, out of glory, last that I knew, and. Yep. Uh, We love that camp. And, uh, you know, what I was seeing from Mike Breeden is he has excellent hands. Seems like a very good striker. And I was watching some fight film on him. And, you know, it didn't look like he had the best takedown defense, but I noticed James Krause was in his corner and everything. And they've really been working on that, I would imagine. Anthony Romero seems talented. And, you know, the fight film was a little limited on him. But. I just have to think that this is going to be a back-and-forth affair and that Mike Breeden, I'm going to edge and lean towards Mike Breeden in the fight. I think that just coming from a stronger camp will, uh, could, could prove. And having James Krause in your corner, I mean, the guy's been there, done that, and knows you know, how to improve certain fight styles. So like he knows Mike Breeden has good hands and what other fighters are going to want to try to do to him. If he can just enhance his strengths – I think it's a very nice spot. Good matchup at 55, pretty even fight, but I'm leaning Breeden.
1: And, uh, I'll pull you the line. I actually made this a headline of my interview with him where, first off, Mike Breeden, he, he goes, he's, he goes, I'm old school. I come to scrap. He goes, you, he goes, you're rarely going to see me on social media. Um, doesn't have a Twitter account, does have an Instagram account. Um, it is a private account. So you have to, yeah, has to prove you to be on there. But, uh, He said this to me, he goes, if you think you are better than me, sign on the dotted line and let's go. I just, I love that. I love that. Like, like that's like, that's like thinking like, all right, like even if like, I didn't know him and I, I, you know, he was fighting a regional scene. If I just saw that quote, I go, okay, man, I want to see you fight now.
2: Yeah. He's game. Uh, you know, and, uh, it seems like the guy's confident
1: and he should be, he's skilled. So
2: you know, I'm excited for this car.
1: Uh, you know, Jamie Pickett once again back on the contender series. He's 0-2 on the contender series. Pretty, pretty uh, interesting to see him get a third opportunity when he's already lost 0-2 on the contender series. Uh, is coming off a win in September of last year against Jacquees Williams, uh, who has an upside-down record of 7-10. Um, you know, that, that's this is one of those fights where. When I look at as opponent, uh, who, who's six and three, um, you know he has won back to back fights. When you look at his two, his two, his three losses, uh, all against a noble competition, I, I kind of feel like uh, this is Jonathan of fight. That uh, I feel like the UFC is more looking at him to potentially as a, a guy to bring into the UFC as opposed to Jamie Pickett, just because Jamie's you know zero and two on the contender series.
2: Interesting, man. I mean, talk about having a ton of chances so you know props to jamie pickett i hope that he finally performs here um you know he's very aggressive and likes to take the the fight to the ground and utilize his strong ground and pound um outside of that he does seem a little green though jason and i know that he has 14 fights but I, as far as an overall game i think that there, there are plenty of holes in it still so this couldn't be a i don't think it's a smash spot for him against uh, jonathan Petit. i think uh I think it's a dangerous fight. I, I really do. I mean, Petit is very, very aggressive. He throws heavy, heavy shots. As long as he can stuff takedowns because you know that uh, his opponent, Jamie Pickett, is going to be looking to take him to the mat. You know, it's a, it's a banger of a 185-pound fight. Um, you know, it, not the best of records for contender series, which is uh, kind of nice to see because it's almost a little – more realistic, you're not always going to have the undefeated guys, the one-loss guy, the two-loss guys. I like to see fighters that are tested and have faced some adversity. Like even in a co-main event, Rafael Alves is 18-9, and going up against a very pretty record in 17-2, and Alejandro Flores. I mean, that's going to be a crazy fight. But I do like seeing that the UFC is starting to take chances on fighters that – not saying they have bad records because that's still a very good record, but you know, more losses than, than usual.
1: Yeah, Alves, uh, his last fight, he won the Titan FC uh, interim lightweight title. He's got a nice little win streak that he's put together. And Flores has fought in Kabache primarily for most of his career. Uh, You know, so that's a matchup. You got uh, Jeffrey Molina against Jacob Silva and uh, Bowen against Huckbody. So kind of give me a little, uh, you know, kind of the pizza heat breakdown on those three matchups.
2: Yeah, so Kyron Bowen, you know, first fight of the night, he's going to want to keep it standing. And uh, Colin Huckbody shoots awesome takedowns and, you know, takes his opponents down, looks for submissions or good ground and pound. Um, I did see Kyron Bowen get taken down in previous fights and held there and then ultimately got back to his feet and landed a nice KO blow. But as far as leaning, I I have to think that Colin Huckbody can do the same and replicate that heavy takedown approach against uh, Kyron Bowen. Uh Jacob Silva and Jeffrey Molina is a fight that I'm very interested in for 125 pound division. Uh Jeffrey Molina is has very good technical striking. And Jacob Silva does as well. And I was very surprised because he does not have the most intimidating picture of topology at all. But the guy he he throws bombs and his nickname's The Little Animal and he throws flying knees, heavy shots. So I think this is gonna stay standing, and I actually on flight film. I look at Jacob Silva as looking you know, looking for the finish more. His style reminds me um, a little bit of Justin Janes, where he throws caution to the wind and hunts for finishes. And uh, as long as he can defend the takedowns, I don't think Molina is really going to look for takedowns because he looked a little lost on the ground. Should be a stand-up fight. Um, close fight, close fight. But I- I'm actually going to pick uh, Jacob Silva in that one.
1: Of course, uh, looking forward to watching the Contender Series uh, fight on, on Tuesday night. Typically, the for me, uh, I'm watching the fights and editing in my own podcast. It goes out on Wednesday morning, so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so, by the way, since I just had the betting odds pulled up, and we'll kind of end yeah. on this, uh, looking at the betting odds for Saturday's UFC card. Have you noticed these betting odds?
2: No, I'm going to pull them up
0: right here. Let's All see right.
1: So, your boy, Alexander Rakic is a nearly three-to-one betting favorite against Anthony Smith. Yep. Neil Magny is a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite against Robbie Lawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kalive is minus 335. I want to say that was so, that, that was a similar line when they were supposed to fight yep. a couple weeks ago. Um, for some reason, I maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like they moved the Impa-Maki Patolo fight to another date. For some reason, I mean, I, thought I saw that.
2: I mean, as far as those fights you mentioned, I, I think Alexander Rakic is going to go in there and put Anthony Smith away pretty early. I, I don't like how Anthony Smith is turning around pretty quickly after suffering so much damage uh, in, in that Glover fight, and I think that Rakic is a rising star, and people should really start paying attention to him. I've been a, a big fan of Rakic. Magny Lawler is going to be. Can Lawler really deal with the length and the volume of Neil Magny? or will he come up short on all of his striking attempts? So that's something to, to, you know, to check out. And uh, it's crazy to think that Lawler's still around. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy, former champion, incredible gas tank, incredible striking, incredible fighter overall. But uh, this would be Neil Magny's biggest win, uh, easily.
0: Oh,
1: no doubt. And uh, by the way, uh, Impa and Patel are fighting. It was supposed to fight initially last week. And so gotcha. now, it, it got moved uh, on to this week. Uh, Bill Algeo is replacing Ryan Hall against yeah. uh, Ricardo Lamas. Bill Algeo has fought in Ring of Combat for a long time, so he gets an opportunity here. Uh, Alex Saris versus Gia That's a, that's an interesting matchup. One of the fights that I'm really interested in. When I saw this matchup, I didn't understand the thought process in booking the fight. Is Sean Brady and Christian Aguilera? I don't. Yeah. That's odd matchmaking to me.
2: I don't understand it because Christian Aguilera looked great, absolutely great, um, against Anthony Ivey, I believe. Yeah, Anthony Ivey. And then Sean Brady's a guy that is going to be a name to remember in that division of very, very strong grappling and limited finish rate. But um, for me, I just don't know what – it's like – one of these guys is going to lose, obviously, and you could potentially ruin a nice fighter in that division. So I wouldn't have liked this. I would have liked to see them fight different opponents because um, I, I think for both of them, it's a building process in the UFC. Uh,
1: by the way, I just pulled up the uh, the DFS uh, numbers on this fight, on these fights. Yep. Um, your boy Rakic is only 8,700.
2: Yeah, I'm rostering him 100%.
1: Sean Brady, most expensive at ninety three hundred on DraftKings. Uh Lamas ninety two hundred. Grosso ninety one. Ankalaev nine thousand. Uh, dollars Martin eighty nine hundred. Okay. Yeah, nice. Uh 8800 eighty eight hundred.
2: That's warranted though, because if you think about it, right? Alex Casares just beat the brakes off of uh what's his name? The the grappling kid, Ben Askren's son, basically. Uh Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper. Yeah. So beat the brakes off of him because he was trying to take him to the mat and had no business striking with him. Giga Chikaze is a phenomenal striker, like a kickboxing prowess, like with incredible, the Giga kick's a real kick. Speaking of the question mark kick, he specializes in it, and it's the Giga kick. So uh, I think this is a very bad matchup for Alex Caceres because as tough as he is, as skilled as he is, he's not better than Giga striking. Um, Giga should light him up.
1: By the way, you know what's the most important question you need to ask, right? What's that? It was eight thousand, eighty-two hundred fight. Uh, that would be Emily Whitmire and uh, Viana. I like Viana in that one.
2: I mean, I'd Vianna's have to – the 8,000 fighter. Yeah, i I have to dive in when it comes to, you know, fight film and everything. But I was looking, and I think that Viana should be the play.
1: Yeah, just looking at uh, – so looking at DraftKings – so you got Rackage at $23.
2: Yeah.
1: Also, gotta remember this is a three-round fight, not a five-round fight. That's something to yeah. pay attention to. Uh, Brady, 20. Chikise, 19. Ankalive, 19. Uh, Smith, 18. I, I hate how fan prices prices made of it. I just despises me. Yeah. Uh, I- Magni, 18. I- Martin, 18. Grosso, 18. DiCicero, Dish- D- 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 $17. Impa, 17. Maki Patola 16. I'm interested to see what does Impa look like. Quick turnaround. Um, <clears throat> you know, Maki coming off that that quick loss at the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I thought that we had no MMA uh, next week. I was wrong. What do we got? Overeem and Sakai headline a fight night guard.
2: Such a bad fight for Sakai. Such a bad fight for Sakai my goodness.
1: Um, Minifield OSP is on that card. Oh, yeah. Look, I got um, that. Calher and Simone's on that card. Uh, Cole Smith's on the card. I actually interviewed him. I'll have that interview up this week. Uh, Colin Worthy's also on the card. I'll have an interview up with him next week. That was a fight. He was actually was supposed to be back at um, the May. back. Yeah, the I want to say the worthy Azatar fight was back in it's supposed to be April or May.
2: Wow, best fight on the card, Brian Kelleher, Ricky Simone. I love it's that. At,
1: and it's at I, I saw uh, James Lynch noted because he talked to Kelleher. That fight's at one forty five.
2: Oh, that's a great fight. I love that fight. I really like that fight. Man, that's awesome. Um, I always favor the lighter guys. I just I, I don't know. I I
1: you well, we you know, we, know we, we we know why we know why yeah you know know, you're you're a lighter guy
2: yeah you know it i'm you know i'm not big into the the heavyweight mma it's uh
1: my my co-host daniel on on the mma report mm -hmm. podcast he has this line heavyweights are either really great for two or three minutes or it can be a really sloppy 15 minute fight
2: (sighs) that's the truth that is the truth you never know what you're gonna get and uh no, interesting to see what what type of fight we get. Is that five rounds, Jason, or is that three rounds? that's over in Sakai.
1: Oh, I'm pretty sure it's a five round.
2: Goodness, favor him a million percent.
1: The problem with Overeem is that chin.
2: Yeah, I just don't. I don't see Sakai. I don't see any.
1: By By the way, speaking of Tiago Santos, he headlines the uh, September twelfth uh, fight night card uh, against Cover uh, Teixeira. It is man. It's. It, that's September twelfth. We can get two Bellator cards that weekend. Um, mm-hmm. That is the opening weekend of the NFL season. So man, Busy weekend, man. Yeah, I guess I, I, I would have, you know, imagine I'm going to be doing live before lock, straight from uh, New Orleans hotel. <laughs> so hopefully we got, you know, I might have to, might have to go down one of the team meeting rooms to do the show.
2: <laughs> That's awesome, bro.
1: Yeah, man. It's uh, man. Football season's right around the corner. It's crazy. I, still I know. Want, I.
2: I can't believe it's August twenty fourth. Like I was in my chats today, and uh, my guys are like, "Dude, we haven't heard anything about your football league. Are you activating it?" I'm like, "Oh crap! Like that's we have to draft. Like, I we got to do that uh, too."
1: Our guy Sal, he uh, had mentioned that apparently, uh, fancy football. I think want to say Google searches are down like seventy one percent. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He tweeted that earlier today.
0: That's interesting. It
2: makes sense, Jason. Like for me. You know, I'm a sports nut and I'm everything. I love everything and I've just been so wrapped up in NBA playoffs. Like mm-hmm. uh you know, the fights on the weekends and NBA playoffs, that's basically what's been consuming my
1: time. Oh, that Luca stepped back three to win yesterday. I was sitting here in my office like Woohoo man, like yeah. the thing is like if you are the Phoenix Suns. Mm. You passed on him. You are the Sacramento Kings. You passed on him.
2: Once in a lifetime talent,
1: man. Once in a life, you don't the always. The Atlanta you know. Hawks traded him to Dallas. I know. Like I feel bad for Trey Young. Yeah, he is always going to be compared to Luca, and it's not his fault.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like how Alex Verdugo is in uh, you know the Red Sox organization, replacing Mookie Betts. That's yeah. he's not That's really at the level of replacement but you know any guy that's kind of traded for or steps into a previous position of there's tons of expectations now now poor trey young has to really outperform what he's capable of in order to kind of justify that but i really don't think he can do anything to justify uh letting go of donchich
1: to me dallas is one player away
2: I think Dallas is very close, it, man. If they,
1: if if Porzingis and Lucas stay healthy, yep. I don't think, and I don't think it's got to be a superstar either. Like no. I think it can be just a very good player. Like if you're an upcoming free agent, that has got to be an attractive place to go play. Talk about one of the best owners
2: in the business too. Like you know, Mark Cuban's going to do everything he can to make sure that Doncic is set for every, anything that he wants. And that he's going to find the right pieces because this kid's on another level. And I know that uh Giannis basically puts up the same stat numbers, you know, nightly. But uh I think it's different for the position too. Like the way he's doing it. Um I just love him. I love his talent. I think that uh it's a pleasure to watch him, man. It's kinda just I don't know. It reminds me of like the old Kobe days.
1: Yeah, I just I just pulled up uh free agents for this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got AD. I mean, look, he's going to be back at the Lakers. He's got a player option. Brandon yeah. Ingram's a restricted free agent. If you're the Pelicans, just offer him the max. Hey, he's uh, disgusting. DeMar DeRozan, Fred VanVleet. Van, someone's going to pay VanVleet some money. Uh, Montrell's Harrell. Um, Gordon Hayward's got a player option. Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent. Drummond's got a player options. Davis Bertan, someone is going to pay him. Yeah. Someone's going to pay him a lot of money. Uh, Danil Gallari, that may be a guy. Okay, look, Luka Doncic could make Evan Fournier look like an all-star.
2: Stop it. Stop it. I don't know. Bro. Well, bro, yeah. And,
1: I and, mean, anytime you're, I you're tell you, up. bro, anytime I tell you I'm playing Evan Fournier in my DFS lineup, tell me not to. Yeah, I didn't do it today. Look, it look, look, I'm glad – look, I know you're a Nets fan. I'm glad they're done because yeah. now I don't have to be tempted to put Garrett Temple in my lineup.
2: I know. Karis, it was like which if Karis LeVert was going to do well enough to justify a salary because they were doubling him so much. And, you know, you saw the same approach for the Milwaukee Bucks uh, against the Magic is – who they're they're worried about on offense? You know, you talked about it with Adam. They have no answer for Vooch. Vooch had a monster day today, uh, but they want to limit it, limit touches to talented shooters, and Fournier is one of them. Faults, you know, kind of let him do that. Let you know, you know, test him with taking the three point. But if say you put Fournier on an offense where they they aren't going to double him, they're not going to give him added pressure or something because they're focused on say Doncic. He's got open looks. That's that's a nice spot.
1: Yeah, I, I'll tell you the series I've been love watching is the Lakers and Blazers. I mean, last game was a blowout, but that's mm. been so much fun to watch. Like you don't yeah. you don't have to be a fan of either one of the teams. It's just it's just fun. Even though the Lakers' offense is god awful, like they it's oh, two yeah. superstars, two superstars. That's it. And like I, I was I was talking about NBA Live before lock. Like I look at the Lakers like I look at Denver. If you put someone like a J.J. Reddick on either one of those teams, that offense is so much better because they just need someone who can hit three. Yeah, I
2: mean, they're really, Denver's really hurting because they don't have Will Barton. Uh, Will Barton being hurt is a bad, you know, it's bad for the team. You can see. Michael Michael Porter Jr. is really not made for defense, so he's just an offensive juggernaut, and you're throwing him out there to try to guard, say, Jordan Clarkson or anybody, and he's really just getting burned on so many plays or committing fouls and giving them free buckets. So, like, missing Will Barton, missing Gary Harris, like, those are two huge guys that uh, definitely make that offense click. But, you know, J.J. Redick for the first time in, what, 10, 15-something stupid consecutive seasons, he misses the playoffs?
1: first time is and be a career he missed the playoffs.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, he should be thankful and lucky he's made the playoffs like that. That's insane. But uh talk about you know the the coach for the Pelicans just really blowing it and uh
1: Oh, did you hear yeah. what he did? What? So, you know, you got Alvin Gentry got fired. Yes. He, t- he took out all the Pelicans beat reporters to dinner. All these guys have been calling for him to get fired. He took the high road and took them all out to dinner after he got fired. Interesting. Interesting. That's class, man. That's class.
2: Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I was really looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so – I don't think the Lakers are going to do it. I think they're going. somebody's going to just take them out because uh, if AD or LeBron have a terrible game, nobody's really stepping up. Kuzma's really not stepping up. Um just because of AD and, and LeBron just dominating touches.
1: Even though Paul George is just playing awful right now, I, I don't think the Lakers yeah. have got enough to get past the Clippers.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, when I was thinking of who was going to win it all before the quarantine, Clippers were my team that I was thinking. Um, Pat Bev being hurt does hurt him defensively. I mean, he offensively is just not even, not even in consideration. But... The Clippers are just loaded, man. They really are.
1: Yeah, it's it's just they're, you know, they're. It's it's a fun time to watch basketball. I'm like, you know, and and, and like when I'm watching the games, I I don't even realize there's no fans. It was I was watching something the other day, and it was a UFC fight with fans in tents, and I'm like, I actually forgot what that was like.
2: Yeah, it's sad. It is sad.
1: Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see when does when does the UFC get to the point. one, th- one of the things I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is they still have not announced where UFC 253 is going to. Is it 253? The next pay-per-view, I think it's 253. They've not announced the location.
0: When's I'm the boy- next
1: time we're I'm going to the island? Well, here's my thing. I guess apparently New Zealand's having fans in attendance now. I'm wondering if they go to New Zealand.
2: Makes sense
1: with, with Adansanya. Yeah,
2: Volkanovski too. I mean. Interesting.
1: All those city kickboxing guys. Mm-hmm. That, that might be and, one of the most underrated gyms.
2: I think it should be one of the top gyms in consideration. You know, uh, that, that gym is really – Fortis really put put their gym on the map this year. So did city. Um, some incredible stuff. Some incredible fighters. Like really like – so much talent in the UFC. So props to the UFC for still putting mm-hmm. on shows.
1: Yeah, Fortis has done a great job of getting, you know, fires into the contender series and getting them opportunities that way. We saw uh buys, you know, get into the UFC last week. Got gotta love after her fight. She goes over. Dana White says, I've been I've been DMing you on Instagram all these times. You need to follow me. And she grabs his phone and puts it in her her follow in. I was like, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh but yeah, man, it's it's a fun time. Of course, uh we've got uh Thursday will be live on Osmo.com, 730 pms eastern time for uh the strategy show for uh ufc vegas number eight saturday we've got the live before lock show which will be at uh probably four thirty. i want to say
2: i would imagine yeah
1: yeah fight starts at six so we'll probably be on about 4 30 we go to about uh five forty five before we turn things over to the mlb guys for mlb live before lock of course uh this week on Awesome Metal, I've got I'll uh, be on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. So, nice, pl- plenty of, plenty of shows to uh, and appreciate all the comments in the YouTube. Uh, it's it's always interesting. Like people are like, oh, I, I thought Jason was just a MMA guy. No, I'm i a sports guy, kind of a uh, little bit of everything. You know, It's uh been been watched. Have you watched Hard Knocks yet? I have not. I have not gotten around to it. I need to. Oh, you gotta watch it, man. It's really, it's uh, what what was I watched episode two last night? I'm trying to think what was the big. Uh, I can't remember what what the big takeaway was. It's so good. I um, The Bucks do this show called In the Current. If you're a Bucks fan, you got to watch it. One of the best the best lines from um, the latest episode is uh, BA, Bruce Arians. He's talking to the team and he goes, uh, "We're not the Bucks yet. You are 80 MFers looking for a job." <laughs>
0: That's amazing. That's I was amazing. like,
1: "Oh my god, that is an awesome line." That's cool. Yeah, it's uh I always I, I no matter whether I'm a you know, in that situation doing work with the team or or I I love that behind the scenes footage. Like takes you inside those walls to see what's really going on.
2: Yeah, like my favorite thing for NFL, NBA, even UFC corners is mic'd up. Like when when they have fighters or they have uh, you know athletes mic'd up, whatever. Like I just love hearing insight from coaches, love insight from anything.
1: Back in the day when you would order the pay reviews via UFC.tv if you bought the streaming aspect, you could choose what audio function you wanted. And so I would always listen to one of the corners. That's
2: cool. That is cool. basically,
1: Basically as a way of let me hear what they're saying. You know, instead of list, and, and it was nothing against Goldberg and Rogan, but it was more of, let me hear what the corners are saying.
2: I kind of like that. That's that's a cool take.
1: You know, just like, because it, it gives you a little insight of, hey, are they calling out the same thing over and over again? Right. You know, are they, you know, can you figure, you know, if they're using code words, can you figure out what the code words are?
2: Yeah. Good luck with a market corner.
1: Hey, man, it's, uh, well, it's like Perry said in his last fight. He said, "In the third round, he figured out all of his opponent's code words. Mm-hmm. And then he's yeah, like, I mean, some I,
2: are pretty easy. Some are pretty easy. I mean, if you're like New Jersey, and every time your coach says New Jersey, you shoot for a freaking takedown. That's easy. But like when I'm telling you, Frank, uh, uh, Mark Henry has like the most sophisticated system. It's like fifty-two Alpha Lima, and he know like they know what that is. Like that's a that that's a. Five two inside leg kick and a low leg. You know what I mean? Like, it's insane. Uh, oh God. Who
1: who was it? They talked about, like, the last fight was like our first fight with Mark Henry, maybe second one. They were talking about, like, when Mark sat him down to go over the code words, they felt like they had to go to school. Yeah. Because it was just so, yep. so complicated.
2: hmm That could work for some people, but there's plenty of fighters I'm sure that does not work well for. They're, they're too worried about code words as they get punched in the face. So it's like, uh, You know, you got to be able to balance it and and really implement it in training.
1: Tell him Pete senior, we need some complicated (laughs) (laughs) co-words.
2: The day
1: my pops comes up
2: with a complicated co-word, that ain't going to happen.
1: He is going to hear this and go, oh, all right, (laughs) we got to bet. I got to come up with something Pete's going to (laughs) really struggle with.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, there's no way. He'll start speaking Italian or something.
1: Keep it simple, stupid
2: yeah oh yeah he's very simple and it's good
1: yeah that was, that was somebody on hard knock said that he goes i just go by the kiss mentality keep it simple stupid mm-hmm. you know yeah that's a henry hoof mindset
2: yeah and you know it's a it's a great mindset uh you know sometimes just the simple things like a jab and boxing the fundamentals that would get you there and are sometimes forgotten
1: yeah um by the way uh Um, since I see you're wearing that Bellator shirt should notice that, uh, their next two events will be the final two events on Paramount. They're going to a reportedly CBS sports network, which, uh, a little surprised by, um, I don't think that's an improvement. I,
2: yeah, I don't either. I signed up, right. I signed up for the, the free trial so that I could watch the Bellator cars, because for some reason I don't have Paramount on my, on my oh, TV was, subscription. A YouTube right? Zone. So I did YouTube TV, right? And I completely forgot about it. And my girl was like, "What is this? We just got charged!" And I look, and it's like sixty-five dollars, and it's yeah. for a
1: month, Jason. Yes,
2: a month. It's yes. absurd.
1: I've I'm a YouTube TV subscriber. Yeah. Cool, oh, man. That's crazy. that's look. That's how I I I don't have your standard cable satellite. I, I cut the cord about three years ago. Mm. And uh, yeah, when I got YouTube TV, it was 35 bucks a month.
0: So now,
1: now they've added a ton of channels. Like they, when they added all these Viacom channels, it was like eight channels. It went from 50 after taxes. It was $57 before I want to say. So it mm. went up like 10, 10, 15 bucks. I'm just like, Oh man. I, I just don't, I don't watch a lot of live, unless it's sports related, I don't watch a lot of live TV. Same, bro, I don't, I don't watch anything, so I, I only got
2: that because of the fights, so it's like, oh boy, well, whatever, no big deal.
1: <laughs> so you just have to remember to cancel it for the next payment yeah i know i know i know <laughs> of course uh this is the fight hq podcast of course you can uh if you're listening to this on youtube be sure to hit a thumbs up hit that uh subscribe button notification bell so you know when new episode which does come out every monday evening podcast also available on apple Podcasts and spotify so be sure if you want to uh just listen to this in your car you can download it right there as well so that's going to wrap up for the fight hq podcast that is the fighter pete rogers jr and i am jason floyd This is a Landry football quick fix on Radio Influence.
0: The draft process when you're dealing with character question marks, you're not excuse me, when you're dealing with evaluation of players, there is thorough background checks on all these players. Anybody that you'd even consider signing as an undrafted free agent or better drafting. You're going to get thorough background checks. Okay. Yes, you have boots on the ground with scouts that try to unearth information about this or that. But in the league, league team officials employ former FBI type people that have access to information that other people don't have. And there was some stuff that was unearthed about Darius. To what degree exactly what it was? Don't know. It was something that needed to be investigated. Well, it was investigated to the point where teams were made aware of it And everybody had to assess the risk factor of taking him. Some were a little bit more concerned about it than others. Some didn't have him on their board or if they were going to mitigate the risk, would have only considered taking him much later. The Redskins thought good value in the second round because a player they had is a first-round Grady player is now available in the second round. And they did not think it was as big of an issue. Their intel said that, well, we've heard that, but we don't know that it's anything really grave. So we can mitigate our risk at the second round. Well, now obviously, as I've mentioned, they've released him, different administration and organization. Now, Ron Rivera is running it. But The intel from Washington was a little different than some others.
1: The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.